What's up, all you lovely ladies and guys, if you're listening to Elissa here with the Intentional Apostolic Podcast, and today we have Sister Penny Watkins, and if you've never heard Sister Penny Watkins, heard of her, read her books, or anything else, then you are in for a real treat today. She is an author, speaker, prayer warrior, minister, and so much more. And today she's going to be ministering to us out of her personal life, her prayer walk, you know, some of her ministry tips and tricks. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil the rest. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Welcome to the Intentional Apostolic Podcast, and today we have lovely Sister Watkins, and I'm going to get to ask you all kinds of wonderful questions. I'm so, I'm really privileged to have you on. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So, first question, did you always know you would end up in ministry, or were, was there like a moment where you were called or it was revealed? I was about 10 years old. I was unchurched, was not raised in any any church or religious background. And as I was walking down the street one day, a voice, and I knew it was God. How? I knew. I just didn't know. I'm, I don't know. I just knew it was God. And he said, Penny, he said, do you see that church? And I looked to my left and I was passing, walking in front of this church. And I said, yes, Lord, I see that. And he said, well, he said, one day you're going to go there to that church and then you're going to move a long way from Dayton, Ohio, and I'm going to use you in the ministry. And that day on, I knew one day I would be in church and I would be involved in the ministry. Wow. Side question. How long was it from Dayton, Ohio until you ended up in ministry? Probably five years. So you were 10 at the time and 15 by the time? Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, when I, I was thinking when I left Dayton. Right. Um, okay. Oh, no. It was it was a good 10 years. Okay. So you were in your 20s when you ended up in ministry. I was 22 when I became a pastor's wife for the first time. Wow. I had the Holy Ghost five whole years. <laughs> I was very green. <laughs> <laughs> As a young person, what were your dreams and goals, and how does that play into who you are now? When I received the Holy Ghost at age 16, from that point, I wanted to speak and teach. That was my dream. And God developed that gift in me, and I have been speaking and teaching over 40 years in many states and several foreign countries. Wow, that's that's really cool. Do you have an example of where God really came through for you in a miraculous way? When I was 29 years old, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And after people prayed and fasted for me and they did surgery, the doctor told me, he said, Penny, he said, I am sure that you're completely when we get in there, you're going to be completely covered with cancer. And uh, when after people prayed and fasted for me, they did surgery and no cancer was ever found. Wow. 
Didn't you talk about that in one of your books that you've written? I did. Um, that Let me see, that I may know him, my first book. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I told that because God had told me two weeks before. Um, my husband was out of town. I was in bed. The, the lights were down, and the Lord came into my room, and he ministered, and he told me, he said, you have cancer. But he said, fear not. He said, because I am with you and it will be okay. And then two weeks later, they did a mammogram. They did other tests, everything. They saw a huge tumor. Um, and and I had two doctors tell me, this is cancer and it's huge. It does not look good. Uh, they said that the uh, cancer grows three times. I think they said three or four times faster in a younger woman than it does in an older. And mm -hmm. so... Uh, Anyway, I did. I talked about that in, in my very first book that I wrote. Really quick, if someone wanted to purchase a book from you, where could they find that? If they uh, if they would write me, uh, email me, uh, my, <clears throat> my email address is watkins.p underscore s at roadrunner.com. And my son-in-law laughs every time he, hear, he hears me say <laughs> that. He said, couldn't you make it a little longer, mother? And But anyway, so it is watkins.p underscore s at roadrunner.com. All right. I will be sure to stick that in the show notes so people can find okay. that and get a hold of you. All right. Do you have a funny or embarrassing thing that's happened to you on the platform or a public event or something? Because I know you've been all over the world. So what's something funny or embarrassing that's happened? Well, my husband was asked to preach uh, somewhere in Texas as a visiting minister. And uh, the pastor asked me to come up on the platform and testify before he preached. And it was a very high platform. And I started up and the hem of my dress got caught on my high heel. And I was trying to stand there and be discreet and get it loose, but I could not. And I ended up hopping on one leg all the way to the platform. <laughs> and the, the whole congregation was doing exactly what you were doing by the time I got up there. Oh, my. Oh, that's... That was real classy, I'm telling you. <laughs> I just, you know, laughed along with him. What else can you do? I know. I think it's better to laugh than cry sometimes. All right. Who has had the biggest impact on who you are and your ministry and why? God has put at least five godly ministers' wives in my life who really impacted me. And... Um, and also my deceased husband, he made a huge impact on my life. So between the five mentors and my husband, that's they are the ones that really formed me as a minister's wife. Was there anything that any of them did that really stood out to you and made an impact on you? You know, every one of them were real. They they didn't take themselves too seriously. That's why I could laugh when I had to hop up on that high platform <clears throat> because I didn't take I don't take myself too seriously. And uh, that's very important when you're in the ministry, not to get uh, take yourself too seriously. I mean, because pride cometh before fall. <laughs> but they were just godly women. They were down to earth and um they were dedicated to God, loved God. They uh, they 
you know, were godly inside and out, and that's who I wanted to be. What you see is what you get. Exactly. All right. So where do you serve now slash what do you do right now? I know you mentioned that you've kind of stepped back from a lot of stuff, but what did your ministry look like when you were in full swing and what does it look like now? Well, when I, my my husband, we were in the Texas district and uh, for 18 years we pastored there. He died in his sleep in our 26th year uh, as pastor uh, in Texas, uh, and, but 18 of that. And, and fact he died, uh, well, let me back up 18 of that. He was a district official the last 10 years of his life. He was on the Texas district board and he had a heart attack during board meetings. And, uh, but he didn't know he was having a heart attack. And, um, so anyway, of course, being involved in in church and then being uh, being a district official's wife, I was involved in things. They're very busy. Uh, my husband was a pastor's pastor, and sometimes, uh, in fact, one prominent pastor uh, evangelist called the house, and he said. He said, Sister Watkins, is Brother Watkins home? And I said, no, he's not. He should be here in the next hour. And he said, well, I'll just tell you. And so we had a, you know, I mean, we were very involved um, in other ministers' lives. And uh, and that's what we loved. After he died, it was it was so different for it took me. It took me two to three years to get back in the swing of things. And um, I did do some speaking. In fact, I spoke at a, you know, a, a large church two weeks to the day when he passed away. Um, I was going to cancel, but my pastor uh, encouraged me to, you know, keep that appointment. And so I did travel and speak, but but I was so shaken, and then I didn't feel like I fit in. It was just, um, it was very hard. But now, right now, uh, I would say for the last, uh, I have been in Dayton now for uh, 10 years, uh, which is my home church, but my son-in-law is my pastor, Bradley Smith, and... Um, and so before a year before my husband died, I started praying, God, if you take Carlton before you take me, let me move back to Dayton. Let me help Bradley and Tiffany any way I can. And let me let me spend the rest of my years pe- uh, pulling people out of the fire. And um, and so anyway, what I do now and what I have been doing for the last 10 years is counseling. I do all kinds of counseling. I do all of the premarital. I do some marriage. I do addiction. Um, I help young people, help them find the direction for their lives uh, and basically let them just bounce questions off of me. And so I'm doing what exactly what I want to do. That's awesome. All right. So for when you are speaking or ministering to somebody, what does your lesson preparation beforehand look like? Because I know everybody has a different style. They do, but uh, actually it's not that much. But there's two things that everything that I, every lesson that I teach has. Um, I've got to have scriptures to back up my lessons. And, and then I tell personal experiences. I like to hear people tell 
their personal experiences. And, and so when I speak, I always have personal experiences. So you use a lot of like your personal stories to convey whatever point it is that you're trying to teach. Yes. Yes. And all of them don't make me look real good because I haven't made all A's. I've lived for God for 52 years and I have not made all A's. And so whether it makes me look good or not, if it fits and if I feel like it's going to help someone, I'll use it. That takes a lot of courage because I'm sure it's not easy to share the stuff that doesn't make you look so good. It, You know, it's... Um, I've gotten over myself a long time ago. And so, and then when you're my age, you have nothing to prove. You just look, it is what it is. And, uh, but I have never gotten a letter saying those, that was the best Bible study I'd ever heard. But I've gotten tons of letters as far away as Canada uh, saying, thank you for being real. That helped me. Awesome. So how do you balance family and your ministry and everything else that you have going on? At this stage in my life, um, I don't, I mean, my daughter's married. I have one child, Tiffany Smith. She's married. She has uh, a family. And so I don't have that. It's different when, when my husband was alive, I had to say about, you know, cooking meals and, and all of that, um, so my prep preparation actually uh, for and what I do is counsel. Uh, all that does is take prayer before I count counsel anyone. God knows what each person needs, and I ask God to let my spiritual discernment kick in uh, so I can zone in on the real issues. Because you can waste a lot of time in counseling if people's trying to make themselves look better. And, you know, and so I do depend on God to to help me to zone in on what the real issues really are. Okay, so quick question. I know some people have been gifted with like spiritual discernment and stuff, and that is something that can be honed over time. But what do you think something is that if a young person wanted to develop more spiritual discernment and stuff? What's something that they could do in their life to help them in that area? I don't know if there's anything you can do except for ask God. Um, You know, the Bible says to seek the best gifts. So I take that as, okay, in my life, in my lifestyle and how I'm used, what would be the best gifts? And uh, so I have always... um, prayed for spiritual discernment. I feel like that's very, very important. And I would tell them to, you know, to look and to pray and and ask God to help them to be sensitive. Um, a person, I think, does have to be sensitive to be used in in the gifts. Yeah. Um, and so that's really all I know to, you know, my advice is to is to pray about it and ask God, you know, to use them in whatever gifts he thinks that they're. I might think I need this gift and God's going, no, really, you need this gift, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, I would. the Bible says to ask and you shall receive. But it also tells us, you know, not to be 
asking amiss that we consume it upon ourselves that like we need to ask but always you know add that stipulation not my will but thy will be done on it yes yes and that is true i mean there's a lot to be said um you know for asking for his personal his perfect will for my life because that's not always the same thing. My perfect will for my life and God's perfect will are not the same. My husband would be alive right now if I had had my perfect will. Mm-hmm. That's 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 rough to think about. Okay, so I know you've taken a step back from stuff, but what are some time management skills, tips, tricks that you learned or enacted when you were younger? Well, that is that is a loaded question <laughs> uh, because I am sanguine and sanguine personalities, they're, they're not real good at, at time management. That is for my melancholy friends who live by <laughs> daily goals <laughs> And so I have spent my life trying to get my ducks in a row, and then I will travel out of town. And by the time I get back, the ducks are scattered everywhere, and I have to start all over again. So, so I'm not the best. So how do you cope with your ducks being everywhere and still get things done? Well, you know, I just you just have to do what you have to do. So if I know that um, I'm going to be teaching. The, our ladies, you know, at prayer meeting, then I just dig in and, and, you know, start praying for God to give me what what they need at that time. And uh, so there's really no uh, set thing. I just, um, I'm just, I wish I was way more organized than what I am, but it's just, it just never happened. It's so, leaning strong on the beat, instant in season, out of season. That is that is what I lean on right there. All right. What do your personal disciplines, so your Bible reading, fasting, prayer, like on a daily basis, what does your personal walk with God look like? I have prayed at three o'clock in the morning for probably 20 years. Um the Lord spoke to me many years ago uh, and told me, I want you to start getting up at 3, 3 a.m. And uh, in fact, he we were pastoring in Texas, and he said, I want you and Sister Carolyn, a lady in our church, he said, I want you and her to start praying together at 3 a.m. And I, I started laughing, and I said, God, I'll be happy to do that, but I think you need to tell her too. <laughs> because I said, asking a saint to help the pastor's wife to start praying with the pastor's wife at three, I said, that is a big order. As much as they love you, I don't know that they would want to do that. Well, after service, Carolyn came to me and she said, Sister Watkins, she said, God spoke to me tonight at the beginning of service. I knew exactly. She was very sensitive to God. And I knew what she was going to say. And I said, well, what did he tell you? And she said, that uh, and she kind of sh- looked at her feet and shuffled around for a minute, and uh, she said, "He wants us to start praying at three o'clock in the morning together." <laughs> and I I laughed and I said, "He told me that, that at the beginning of service." And so we started praying at three o'clock Monday through Friday, and um, 
And so then after I came to Dayton, um, I, I kept it up and I have. And so it's been over 20 years now that I have <clears throat> I have prayed uh, at that time. And now when I'm not feeling well or I'm extremely tired, I'll take a week off. The world don't stop, you know. Um, and so then after I get to feeling better, then I'll pick up where I left off. I've just always done that. After I pray, I read God's Word. And um, and then also I work hard at being God-conscious. I want to do and be what God wants me to do and be. And, uh, and so that's really the extent of it. Uh, is built. I have built a relationship with God over the years, and I'm telling you, I I needed it. My husband died in his sleep. We, I was not. Nobody expects their husband to die in their sleep. The last time I saw my husband alive, he was sitting on a recliner, and he had a popsicle in one hand, and he had his laptop in the other, and um, I didn't know he was going to die that night. He wasn't on a breathing machine. He was, He was. you know, he had a stint the week before. But I used to be an EKG technician in Houston, Texas, and a lot of people have stints and don't die. So when he, when he passed away in his sleep, um, and now I'm losing my train of thought. You've got to <laughs> help me here. My mind's going about three different directions. Go whichever way the Lord and, leads you. You know, and so anyway, to just... You know, make a long story short, um, I I built a relationship with God. I remember looking at my husband's body after I went into hysterics and and uh, started coming down. I had tears streaming down my face, and I I was I looked at my husband, and out loud I said, "Penny Watkins, you're getting ready to find out what is in you." Mm. Was I living for uh, for God because of my husband? Was I li- and yeah. uh, but yet I knew in my heart that I had built a relationship with Him and and I did and He's been gone now eleven years and I'm still you know living for God and have no intentions of doing anything other than that. This is the only life I've ever wanted to live. Wow! All right. So next question is kind of not on the list, but you mentioned that you would take a week off of like your prayer schedule at three in the morning, sometimes when you needed to rest. Are there things that you do to rest specifically or has God like showed you things like the value of resting and how important that is? Um, He has because... um, I have had several surgeries, uh, hospitalizations through the years, and God taught me in my 30s to know my limitations. I know when when it's when I'm pushing myself too much, and I just and then I'll start pulling back. I don't have to pull back for long. I just have to you know regroup. And uh, I'll take some time off. I say no to uh, invitations and I'll regroup and then I'm ready to get back in the fight again. But I uh, most most people who have not known sickness does not really know their limitations and they push themselves very hard. But I know mine. I can tell when 
it's getting too much. So you've developed personal boundaries where your limitations are. That's correct. That's really cool. All right. So a lot of us or all of us are familiar with like outward ministry, public ministry, like we say things on the platform, you know, we meet you, we shake your hand and, you know, we see all these different names, but what is something that behind the scenes that not everybody knows is a valuable thing that we should know about ministry or? I will give you two examples. Um, just this week, um, I attended a ladies' banquet where the banquet facility people did not show up. Now, this banquet had been on the books for some time. Mm-hmm. And the people that owned the building did not show up. And at the last minute, the church had to find another facility to have their banquet in that night. Thankfully, uh, thankfully, they found one. And for a brief time, the pastor's wife's blood pressure was through the roof. <laughs> and if I'd been the pastor's wife I've, and that happened to me, I, mine would have been too. And when the ladies came that night, they had a beautiful setting. They had a great time and they were none the wiser that the pastor's wife and the decorators, what they went through that afternoon. And um, that's how things should be. Things can get hairy behind the scenes, but in the end, God works everything out. Another example, one Sunday morning uh, when my husband was alive and we were pastoring a church, one Sunday morning before church, my husband and I got a call from an EMT in our church. Um, And he worked uh, on ambulances. And he told us that one of our young people died in a car accident coming home from work. He worked the graveyard shift and he fell asleep and hit a tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my husband and I had to go to the single mother's house and tell her uh, that Waylon had died. We cried with her. We consoled her. And then he and I went to church. He preached. I sang. I played. And our church never knew the emotional turmoil that their pastor and pastor's wife went through an hour or two early, having to tell a single mother that her youngest son was dead. That's just, I don't know that I could even imagine. It takes incredible strength to be in the ministry because you're required. God's requirements of you are so much. And I do think that sometimes people can have an over-glamorized viewpoint of the ministry because, you know, they see the platforms, they see the supposed fame, but they don't understand the cost behind it. No, they don't. Uh, I have laughed a lot. I was pastor's wife for 28 years, and there's many times that I laughed and said to myself about 10% of pastoring is glamour. You know, people looking up to you and and just, you know, admiring you and, and they want to be like you, the rest of it. Oh, no. <laughs> if the toilet needs cleaned and, uh, and it's about church time and somehow it got overlooked, I've cleaned many a toilet. Um, I, I've always done, and my husband too. We've done what we what needed to be done. Yes, absolutely. What is something that you've learned or somebody shared with you that you wish you knew sooner in regards to ministry? This is very cut and dry. Don't die on every hill. 
Choose your battles carefully, and when you can, let the loose ends drag. I read a book several years ago, and the author said we rush around responding to alarm bells, and at the end of the year, we realize that the biggest majority of them were not emergencies at all. Mm. So be wise on what you prioritize. Exactly. And everything is not a hill to die on. Yeah. And when people are young, a lot of times they think that it is. I know when I was an early, uh, I mean, a young pastor's wife, um, I tried hard not to, to let people see how, what a novice I really was. And, uh, but after a while, you just, you know, and sometimes you're, you die on hills or you choose, you know, you're, everything's a battle. It's not. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, choose your battles carefully. And when I say let the loose ends drag, that used to be my husband's motto. And, uh, (laughs) and in other words, that means don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. What is the most impactful advice you were given out when you were were like first starting ministry and everything and you were super green? Don't die on every hill. Choose your battles carefully. (laughs) And when you can, let the loose ends drag. (laughs) All right. All right. (laughs) Okay. What is your take on hospitality and its connection to ministry? (sighs) The Bible says, Hebrews 13, uh, 2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for therefore some have entertained angels unaware. First Peter, Peter 4 and 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, there have been times I've asked my husband, Can we please take the evangelist and his family out to eat tonight instead of having them over to the house? I've been busy today and I'm tired. Hospitality is a large part of the ministry, and there are no two ways about it. Sometimes showing hospitality is fun. Other times you will be tired and may not be feeling well, and that's when you ask God for strength to do what needs to be done. I don't remember one time in 28 years of pastoring that I regretted showing hospitality. Wow. Okay, so if you could define yourself inside the fivefold ministry, what would it be? Ephesians 4.11 says that he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Um, I think that most pastors find themselves in every category at some time in their ministry. As for me, I believe I'm mainly in the teaching role, and teaching is what I love to do best. All right. All right. So this is a little bit different direction. So... um, the Bible t- tells us that the older women should teach the younger women and, you know, show us how to do things. So what advice would you give single young ladies about relationships and what to look for and what to avoid? And I know this is a great question for you because you do a lot of counseling. I do do a lot of counseling. You've kind of caught me off guard. But, um, you know, as a I remember in in Texas when we pastored. Um, I had a group of girls, and they, you know, a lot of them wanted to be preacher's wives because, probably because it looked glam- glamorous. <laughs> and so, and I told them, uh, some of them were 15, some of them were 18, 19. I said, you start today 
acting like you're a preacher's wife. You start, make sure you have a, a, a prayer life, a relationship with God, because you know, nobody wants a pastor's wife that, uh, that has no relationship with God. Mm. I'll never forget uh, about 10 years ago running into a well-known pastor's wife, and, and her husband had died. And she said, we were talking, we ran into each other in Hancock's in a fabric store. And she said, Sister Watkins, she said, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I never really had a prayer life until my husband died. And her eyes welled up in tears. And she says, I have fallen so in love with God. Mm. And so that's what I told him. I said, you, you conduct yourself, you um, you know, like a pastor's wife, don't do things that you are going to regret, you know, um, later. And I said, get a, start building a relationship with God because that is the most important amen. of all. Amen, amen. What would you say to a young woman who feels called to preach or feels a call to ministry but maybe she has family or people that are close to her that are against that. Or maybe if they're not like overtly against it, they're definitely not supportive. <clears throat> My parents weren't saved when I received the Holy Ghost. In fact, they, I lived for God for 20 years before my family came. My mom and dad and my sister and brother came back to God. And my parents weren't, they weren't happy. Um, especially my mother. Um, and when I married my husband and, and she knew that I was going to be a preacher's wife, she just wasn't for it. And But as my parents watched God's blessings upon my life through the years, it didn't take them long to accept it. And I think that, you know, that that is the main thing, just Go forth and do it. I've seen young people backslide that came in and their parents might have been some other religion and they were having fits, you know, wanted their kids out of this. And and many of them left. But mm. the ones that stayed, um, their parents either came into the truth or they learned to see God's blessings and and they had faith and confidence, and they were glad that their uh, child went ahead and pursued what God called them to do. So this kind of leads into my next question. What advice would you give to a young person that is living in an, an environment that isn't conducive to living for God? Pray continually for grace, because there will be times that Satan will use the family members. He's used my mother. Uh, he's used my brother uh, to make me angry or try to tempt me. And so pray for grace and God's grace will be there. Amen. 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 So this next question is kind of an overview. Um, what do you admire about this new generation that's coming up? So like the young people's, the twenties, like, what do you admire about this generation? You're not going to expect this answer, but okay. I have seen many young people who are not living right. 
yet they keep coming to the house of God. I don't see them as hypocrites. I see them as young men and women praying for God to change them. Mm -hmm. And I admire that. And the truth of the matter is, is I have seen God change many of these. Wow. So they keep coming even though they know they haven't gotten it right. Even though they know that they're not doing right, they just keep coming. And I admire that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If we as a younger generation could do just one thing to stay apostolic to the core, what would it be and why? I would say serve God in holiness. Holiness sets us apart from the world. God is a holiness, is a holy God. We know the word of God tells us that over and over. Uh, we need, we have to serve God both inward in inward and outward holiness. It's not holiness unless it's lived both on the inside of us, pureness of heart, and is manifested on the outside of us. Amen. Do you have any other advice or remarks or comments that you would like to share with me and my generation? You know, I just keep doing what you're doing. And, and if any one of you are living, uh, listening to me today and you're not doing right, just keep coming. Just keep coming to church. Uh, just keep worshiping. If the devil tells you you're a hypocrite, ignore him. Tell him to, <laughs> to get behind you. And because God sees this. Um, you know what? God has big shoulders. He can handle our humanity. Mm. Amen. And I remember my husband and I used to travel with brother and sister Nathaniel Urshan. My husband was the Texas Harvest Time director. And of course, brother Urshan and sister Urshan have been deceased for several years. They, I, I, We both, my husband and I, both loved and admired them. But I remember hearing... Sister Urshan and I were sitting in the back seat, and, and uh, Carlton was driving. Brother Urshan was sitting in the front passenger seat. And he told, uh, he was telling my husband, he said, when I was 27, 28, I wasn't living for God. I wanted to be a professional base. I think it was a baseball player is what he said. I could be wrong, but I think that's, I think that's what he said some sport but I think it was baseball and he came in late one night after being with the guys and he heard his dad praying and he and he heard brother Andrew Urshan pray and say God please if you see that Nathaniel's not going to live for you get him right with you and take him and he said, I had faith in my dad's prayers. And he thought, oh, God may kill me. You know, so he said that was when he began to turn around. So many of our <clears throat> our ministers that we listen to and they preach, they they didn't always do right. They strayed. And but God, God saw that and he knew he knows what's in our heart. And like I said, God has big shoulders um, and and he knows what to do to bring us back to him. Amen. God, God's power to restore and clean somebody up and turn somebody's life around after we've messed up God knows how many times. Yes. It's just 
Yes. God's mercy and God's grace is far beyond. That is the truth. And I say often, I cannot trust my flesh. You would think it at my age, I could trust it. No. I I have had many, many trials, of course, living for God for 51 years. But I'm telling you, we're in the last days. And I have seen spirits and have battled spirits in the last five to 10 years that I have never battled before. And so I have got to keep my relationship with him. Amen. Would you mind closing us out in prayer? I will. God, we love you. I thank you for all of those who are listening, the young people of today. I love them. And God, I know that you love them. And God, I'm asking you, Lord, to do a mighty work. They are the ones that is going to see the coming of the Lord. And they are the ones that is going to see that revival. Uh, Your word says it will be a number that cannot be numbered. And God, make them strong, Lord. Make them strong. Let them pursue you. Let them love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will give you the praise and the thanks for this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.